Hey, welcome to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. I'm Nathan Barley-Phillips and I'm going to be your host on today's episode, which is broadcasting from TuneCore UK in London. In today's podcast, we're aiming to have a wide-ranging discussion around artist management, specifically around the question of when is the right time to hire or work with a manager? Deciding to hire a manager can be one of the biggest decisions in an artist's career, so hopefully we can debunk some of the myths surrounding the process and unlock some valuable insights which will help you when you're thinking of hiring your first manager. Today, we're privileged to be talking to Jamie Osman, who is an artist manager at world-renowned Red Light Management and representing artists such as The Cribs, Spring King, Lower Than Atlantis and Berry Tomorrow, among many more. Jamie, welcome. Hello. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you today? Yes, very good. Very good. Uh, so first off, uh, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about your history, uh, your background in the music industry, oh. and uh, and what in particular drew you in to be an artist manager. Yeah, well, I think like most managers or most people in the music business, I'm a failed musician. Um, Ding. And, <laughs> yeah, right. And um, no, I grew up in a town called Amersham, which is sort of a satellite town to, to London. And although it was only a, a sort of a tube ride away from central London when I was 12 or 13, I didn't, there wasn't really much going on. And I saw a poster one day for a local gig and I didn't really know much about music other than the records that my mum had taught me or sort of what I grew up listening to. Um, and I went to this sort of rock and metal concert in this sort of village hall and there was hundreds of people there in my little town and it, and it blew my mind. And for the next sort of four years until about the age of 16, 17, I just go religiously sort of every other week. Um, there was one either in Amersham or Chesham or Berkhampstead or Hemel or St Albans. And it was bands like Enter Shikari and kind of all the bands that were sort of a little bit older than me and were emerging. So we were run by this amazing guy called Rafe Charles. Mm. And um, I got a call one day just to, to say that he'd, he'd suddenly passed away. And yeah. it felt like the yeah. entire scene from where I grew up had just vanished. I so remember that. What was the name of the promotions company? Ultimate Solution. Ultimate Solution, that's um, right. Yeah. And he was amazing. And, and him yeah. and a bunch of the guys in a sort of drum and bass metal band called Shell Shock. Shell Shock. And you had yeah. Komakai and I Defy. And it was this really mad scene of sort of like post new metal yeah kind of kind of born out of that crusty scene as well yeah and then so. but then you had sixth and yeah. um you know but then it sort of started to get more commercial and i just spoke to his mum actually and just said look it's a real shame that this is gonna stop because a couple of the guys from shellshock had taken it on and didn't necessarily have the time they were getting into their mid-20s and life and so i started promoting all these gigs um i think my first one was in 2007 so yeah. i would have been 18 um, you know, and I had Young Guns on the bill and Skirt Box and a bunch of bands. And then the more we started to dive into it, I started to sort of see the real benefits of the community. So we carried them on and, you know, bands like Tonight's Goodbye and Architects and Shikari, Yumi at Six. I think I even did Bring the Horizon to Reading. And yeah. for me, it was never a business. We were just putting all the money back into it to kind of grow. And through that, just met this amazing community. Um, and then I got to 18, decided to go to university. Um, studied a course called music management and live production, which um, most certainly was interesting. But actually going <laughs> there was, was amazing because I realized very quickly I didn't want to be a promoter. Okay, um, that's interesting considering you like, naturally yeah, gravitated towards that. I'll tell you that. why. It was, it was in that period of time when national promoters had suddenly decided to take a grasp on, on the UK rock scene, I think. Right. There was a time when, you know, whether it was a Shikari tour or a bunch of bands, Blackout, Kids in Glass Houses, I could book them for four or five different venues around satellite towns in London and actually build almost a mini tour. And they'd mm -hmm. come and do one weekend with us, one weekend in Wrexham, one weekend in, in the Southwest and kind of do those MySpace tours as we call them back in the day. Yeah. Um, and then obviously as it started to get way more 
nationalized in the promotion sense. Um, you know, the band might be playing Islington Academy and then weren't allowed to come and do a show in Amersham or Wickham because of the, mm-hmm. of the, of the range. So I had a friend at uni who was managing a band called We Are The Ocean and um, I just thought it sounded really fun. You know, I kind of came from a failed musician background, so I had some form of creative. I'd enjoyed learning about the business side and the agents side from that and um, just decided to start managing managing some bands. And um, the, the uni course, although not necessarily to propel me into the business, actually gave me a really good grounding of law and accounting and probably the the, the core aspects of what I needed to do to, to, to know about this business. Okay, yeah. So I picked up a friend's band who at the time were called Lights and Sounds and they toured a tiny little bit through the MySpace scene. And then there was a chap living in a pub in High Wycombe working there called Chris Pennells, who was in a band called Death Havana. And that became a natural sort of conversation. So it was a really weird sort of baptism because I was already semi part of this scene through the touring side, but I didn't really know anyone in the music business. Yeah. So the bands knew you and... You bands know, kind know. of knew me, but not... Maybe it was that guy that did the cool gigs in Amersham because we were kind of renowned for, for having a good good scene there. Mm. So bands... Don't forget High Wickham. <laughs> um, <laughs> people wouldn't come for miles and play to 10 people, like, you know, which I then learned about on the management side. Mm. But, um, but yeah, so just, you know, started managing my friend's band, really not knowing really what the hell I was doing other than I guess maybe having a bit of a, a vision for what the band should be um, and this was still very much in the MySpace day so we could uh, there was kind of a, a strategy that I, th- I felt we could build so it happened pretty quickly to be honest in my, in my second year of uni and my third year of uni both bands were kind of touring a lot Lights and Sounds got taken to China on tour by a promoter which was an amazing experience so I was still working full-time at uh, House of Fraser okay whilst trying to manage bands and do a degree um, which was intense but I think you know they're they're the sacrifices you make absolutely yeah I then left uni uh I was then working night shifts in a in a call center whilst managing those two bands sort of in 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 the daytime or trying to signed another band called Francesca and then everything seemingly clicked pretty quick like I suddenly was in and amongst the London scene I suddenly was having bigger conversations with agents lights and sounds I, I I partnered up with a with a chap called Will Blake to manage who was a promoter at SJM we changed their name to Venice. We got a record deal with with Universal, and that gave me a tiny bit of cash flow, I guess, to kind of set up set up on my own. And I kind of then started a consultancy with someone. So I was kind of like bit bit part managing, I guess. And then I learned the hard way with Venice. They got dropped, and the label folded. And Paul Adams, who's a lovely, lovely chap at Spotify now, was was running the label. He left. So I kind of learned the real hard way of what what management was about. Like you sign a record deal at the age of 20, 21 with your mates, and you think like this, this is. is- it like, yeah we made it um and then yeah a year later you're having to make the call saying sorry lads like it's back to nando's yeah, um which which was sadly was the case for some and so that was that was pretty crazy um but on the flip side you know francesco and def havana were, were doing amazing stuff and havana in particular the, the screamer left you know the the heavy vocalist so to speak and yeah we went a, a very different route and you know in 2010 we sold out their first 600 cap show with zero anything really other than um, a small label that invested in them so yeah that was kind of the 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 introduction and I was working on my own for for a long time and then that's kind of when the red light discussions okay yeah great and then kind of a few years on from that and a few years ago from now you also set up your own record label called Easy Life Records as well yeah which kind of runs you kind of run alongside and you know is part management so kind of what prompted you to to set the label up and, and do you sometimes feel like you've got one foot in the management camp, one foot in the label camp, and is there ever a kind of conflict of interest there? Do you know or? what? If anything, the conflict is that I'm too 
artist friendly on the label side right. and I'll, but I'll come to that in a sec so which is rare I guess you could say but the, but the label was essentially because Def Havana was signed to a label called Wolf at Your Door yeah. who had helped them a lot we just felt like the groundswell had really happened for that band and that they needed uh, a sort of a stepping stone to grow I'd had a bad experience with major labels so I was pretty anti doing a license to them mm-hmm. um, and I got introduced to, to BMG Publishing, which was uh, Lexi Corey-Smith and Danny Watson and Tom Overbury. Yeah. And essentially they were coming up with this new business model, which I guess now is pretty much the label services model that most people do, but not many people were doing it at the time. So essentially we signed the band's publishing with, with BMG and BMG gave me a pot of money to, to make a record um, with and put a record out. So Danny was kind of the marketing guy. I kind of quarterbacked the whole thing and the name Easy Life was essentially the vehicle for that. Um, Definitely, okay. first EP was called. They called it the Easy Life, yeah. and that just made sense. We like the name; it was cool. It's a nice, nice, good, nice sort of backstory. It, it, with yeah, that it was and lovely, and um, yeah. and that experience was amazing. We had we had so much success off of not a huge amount of spend, and it felt like I realised that there was an entirely different world of how you put records out there because I was so used to either doing it on my own in my bedroom or through a through a label. Yeah, and this kind of felt like a really good hybrid. So a few years passed, and with the label, it was just like. I kept seeing my friends' bands get signed and dropped, signed and dropped, signed and dropped in the rock sphere or signing to sort of American independent labels that had a great reach but didn't necessarily have anyone on the ground here working it. So, yeah, yeah I was approached by by a few people and it made sense to do the, the JV with Sony at the time. Mm-hmm. Red Light were amazing and just sort of said, go and do it. And is there conflict? I don't necessarily think there is. I think I, there's one band I have signed which I've managed, which is Lower Than Atlantis. Yeah. Um, which at, you know actually we've had a huge amount of success with, so I don't think there's ever necessarily been a conflict other than not commissioning off one side of the other. Yeah. Um, but the label thing for me is just you know I, I genuinely feel like in this day and age that that there is still a room for for labels, especially in the indie rock sphere. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I feel like you know if you can empower artists and management to kind of feel like you're in a partnership with them rather than taking their rights. I think that's a lot of the... So it's all about the cooperation and... Yeah, I think yeah. it's got to be cooperation this day and age. I think, I think, you know, you say cooperation, I think a lot of a lot of bands think about corporation when they think about a label and then it's someone coming along and taking all of their rights and that can be the case. And obviously, like, at some points it makes sense, but especially with guitar bands, it, it takes so much longer now to grow and it takes so much longer to develop and it takes so much longer for them to feel like you know, the traction's happening. It's not always overnight. Like people go, oh, Idols, it's just happened. It's like, it hasn't just no, happened. No, They've been working yeah. fucking hard. Sorry for swearing. Um, <laughs> you know, and a lot of the bands that we work with has taken four or five records. You know, Lower Atlantis had their first top 10 off after on their fifth record. So Absolutely, for yeah. me, it was about the partnership of like, yeah, spending money properly and spending it where it makes sense and giving people a global reach, but also just giving them the black, you know, bringing a manager and saying, hey, we're doing really well. Do you want to spend an extra few grand on digital advertising rather than experiences I've had with labels before where I get a, a spreadsheet and there was like nine grand's worth of racking at HMV that no one asked me about. Yeah. So I think it ha- you have to be transparent in that respect. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to bring the conversation kind of back into kind of the nitty gritty of management in, yes. the, in, in the hope that we can kind of, you know, give some valuable insights to, sure. to, you know, to some of the artists that are listening that might be thinking about kind of bringing their their business forward in the hiring of a manager and, and that kind of thing. So obviously this is a pretty huge question and sure. I'm sure that we'll kind of, we'll dig into it a bit more, but obviously there's a number of factors that, uh, you know, depending on where the artist is at, but generally when would you say is the right time for an artist to hire a manager? I think it's changed drastically. Okay. Really drastically in the last, I mean, how long have I done this now? 10 years. Um, wow. Uh, um, Congratulations. You know, yeah, good. <laughs> I need some ribbons falling down. Um, no, I think, 
I think it's odd because actually now the artists have more power than ever. Yeah. And that's something I'm so passionate about is that, you know, I think an artist should should look for a manager or need a manager when they feel like there's no more than they, you know, that they can no longer do on their own. Okay. Um, managers essentially can only facilitate an artist's vision. So one of the main things I always say is like, when you know what your vision is as an artist and you know that you can't do any more than you're possibly doing within your power to drive that and grow, that's when you should look for a manager. Right. Because... You know, we can open doors and we can put you in front of people. But if you don't know exactly who you are or what you are, it's really difficult. And obviously we can help shape that and we can help put you with people that can help create something maybe aesthetically or, you know, an audio or hooking up sessions and stuff. That's fine. But And raw talent is still something that exists. And I do occasionally find someone with an amazing voice. Mm. And that's a really exciting part of my job. And we harness that and we grow it. But mm. In this day and age where, and especially for people that are probably listening via TuneCore, which again is an amazing digital aggregator to actually be able to get out to the world, you've only got to look at all the acts that have been inherently successful in the last you know, two or three years and it's been the ones that have driven a hell of a lot of it themselves and yeah, the manager's there as a partner. And I think it's really funny you say the word hire because I, I love that because we are there to work for the artist. Okay. I think so many artists think it's the other way around. Like we're some kind of golden statues of like I must have a manager. And don't get me wrong, like you know, we, we are there to do good work and I think we do, but, you know, we're essentially middlemen yeah. between you and, and your vision and we've just got to help you get there. So I think, like, to answer the question, when should you look for it? I think when you feel like you can't do anymore. But right. if you wake up in the morning and think, well, I can't be bothered to do my Instagram today, I wish I had someone to do it for me. Like, that's not what we're here to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get a message from from an artist with who's taking the time to download a picture from a Dropbox, save it to their phone, open their WhatsApp, send it to me, decimate the quality, send me the caption and ask me to upload that to their Instagram. Wow, okay. So, so to me in my head, like that's not the best use of my time or their time or anyone's time. So I think like, you know, it's not, we are here to do stuff, obviously, and I've got a great team of people around me that that, that can do all that stuff for artists. That's part of the service we offer, obviously. Yeah. But I do think that having that vision is the most important thing. And when you feel like you can't do any more, then that's when, that's, that's when it comes. You know, if you can't get the gigs, if you can't, get into the studio with the people you want to do if you can't make mm. a record that in your head it should sound like yeah definitely so so yeah so i really want to kind of hone in on on that you know the good work that the managers you know yeah. can do can do for artists so in do your we do any good work I don't well know. no artists might say otherwise well no I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't have thought so i'm sure a lot of artists will uh, be very thankful to their managers and, and management for uh, you know progression no, in their careers but uh i think you know for, for, for me it's just interesting to kind of I think it'd be interesting from your point of view to, to kind of outline what you feel are the kind of the fundamental key responsibilities of yeah. a manager to, to the artist. I think, yeah, I mean, it, again, that's sort of shifted a lot okay. um, because, I mean, maybe it's always been the same. With the new artists, it's always kind of been everything, you know, okay. um, and helping them develop their sound, develop their style, develop their aesthetic, develop mm. their culture. Then that's a word I'll probably say a lot during this, which is culture, which is probably something people wouldn't have touched on quite a while ago. And I think that's what's become more and more important now is actually understanding where an artist fits in 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 the sphere of culture in this day and age. I think people can sit everywhere now. And years ago when I started, you know, in the rock scene, same as you, like it was like, right, you're a rock. If you like rock, you like rock. And that's kind of it. And you might like some of your mum's old reggae records. But now you've got, you know, I meet kids at shows that, you know, have a Bring With The Horizon tattoo, but then are going to see Drake next week. Absolutely. So that's yeah. changed a lot. So mm. almost like you have to help artists now build a journey for themselves because you're getting rock kids that are making trap and you're making trap kids that are making metal like Scarlet, yeah. for example yeah. so it's where do you fit within that culture and helping the artists find that vision amongst that noise because I think a lot of artists 
often don't know where they sit because they're 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 making music they like, which is what they should do. Like make music for yourself. That's all yeah. that matters. Yeah, absolutely. And hope that it finds an audience. But it's something that yeah, we do a hell of a lot more work on now than we used to, which is kind of finding finding that place. And mm. that's really important. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the kind of the nuts and bolts that that, that the manager will, will typically do for an yeah. artist is, I mean, ultimately you're you're looking at you know taking off, I, t- I guess, kind of shouldering some of the burden in the in the day to day kind of tasks. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you're, I, I'm assuming you're looking at you know kind of financial you know yeah. responsibility for the artist. Uh, you know, certainly kind of you know networking, creating opportunities, you know that kind of stuff. Is that a big, kind of big part of what you yeah, do day to day with 100%, your artists? I mean, depending on the size of the artist mm. in particular, um, I guess I'm focusing this probably more on on stuff that makes sense for a new artist. But depending on the level, business management. So, mm. uh, is it the right time to bring on an accountant? Is it the right time to bring on a day to day? business manager for a new artist probably not but maybe having someone there that's ready and kind of invested in the business for when the time's right yeah um a lawyer for the artist is, is always important um most artists now come with lawyers that's kind of that they'll find you first they're like it's kind of a and r source that didn't exist yeah absolutely <laughs> 20 years ago where the lawyers lawyer, are there first lawyers now. there before the manager uh, label and the publisher but so. you know building that good relationship is it the right time for an agent do we need to work on the live is the band right is the dynamic right are you able to play your instruments is it sounding live how you want it to sound on record? There's been bands that I've met before where the records sound amazing and then live it sounds great, but it's a completely different band. Yeah. So it might be heavily electronic and they haven't yet figured out how to make that happen live. So does it make sense? And then and then honestly, like helping the artist figure out who they are and what message they want and, and, and what voice they want to put out there as well. So yeah. photos, videos, social media, all of that stuff. And again, mm. in this day and age, I think that the nuts and bolts really now is, is the artist you know what what are they who are they and, and how do they want to sit yeah definitely so it's kind of your your responsibility to everything. kind of to, yeah to literally <laughs> just be like the the, the, the linchpin on which yeah everything I, else do you know how i coin of... it the artist is probably the ceo of mm-hmm. their business and we're kind of the coo yeah so it's kind of like the artist is in charge of everything and we're here to help it operate and run and introduce them to people when they need it you know yeah you know there's no point in paying 500 pounds a month for an accountant if you're not touring and haven't put any records out so yeah. but i think sometimes you know, and something I learned over the years is some managers definitely try and put that team in place super quick to mm. kind of build a certain illusion of what an artist is. And same yeah. with you asking when when's the right time to get a manager. I think it's the same same thing. It's like build that team as and when it makes sense as opposed to just like diving in to get everything done in in one place. Yeah, definitely. A question I was going to ask you is is that um, typically in, in your experience, do artists, managers work with official contracts with their artists? And, and if so, uh, what are the, some of the key things that yeah. artists should be aware of within those contracts it's funny, with, with managers? Yeah, I did a BBC um, panel the other yeah. day for introducing and this got asked in that and um, everyone's very different. Yeah. So I very much base most of my relationships on trust. Managers are protected by the law after a certain amount of years anyway, just by like the, the sort of common common law. Um, so you don't need to sort of bind someone in. I think if you're asking an artist about whether they should sign a management contract or at what point they should, I think it's A, when you feel super comfortable with the manager. Yeah. B, when you feel like that relationship's already working. So I've, I've known art- examples of artists before where they've worked with a manager for a month and there's suddenly a contract on the table and mm. it's got to work both ways. Okay. Um, so, yeah. t- so typically you would expect to work with, a, or an artist would expect to I'd work with a manager. i say a trial period at yeah. least, or at least agree a trial period, right. three months, six months, whatever that may be. I think if an artist, if a manager, sorry, trying to put a contract in front of you super quick, like mm. the alarm bells should probably, probably ring. Okay. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a bit different to renting a, a house or something like that, you know. But in terms of what it was saying, it would obviously have your, your, your percentage commission, which in the UK is typically 20% of net. The American model varies slightly as an adjusted gross. You'd have a term, so probably somewhere between three and five years. Uh, usually it'd be, say, like three years of the two-year trigger. Mm-hmm. And the main one, which I think is really important, which I do always outline with my artists before we start working together, is what's called sunset. Yeah, sunset commission. clauses. So essentially any income derived under that term so if you and like if i was managing you and we worked together for five years and you you know sacked me for no reason i'd done a really good job then i'd have the right to commission on the work know, that was, the work created, that was in that created in that period and yeah. it's interesting actually because some managers will go really hard and say that you know they should commission for the life of that that work um yeah. because they put the hard work in and they should share in that revenue forever some managers will, will, some artists will say, you don't deserve anything like that. That's it. So, but that's probably the main, the sunset one's probably the main clause I'd say mm. that can get sticky in those situations. And I've certainly had to negotiate a couple of those in, in the past. Yeah. It's difficult because you do, you pour your heart and soul into an act. Like I did anyway, I was, I, when I was younger, maybe, maybe now I've, grown up a little bit but when i was younger i was very emotionally involved in my acts you know it's hard not to be because music is such an emotive thing isn't it exactly and you really live and breathe it and you are almost the you know the 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 extra band member you're that 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 guy that's in the trenches with them usually sometimes more than the the the, some of the band members maybe the bass player usually (laughs) (laughs) joking sorry um but you know and, and and actually like so then when something like that does happen it can become very difficult to actually separate yourself and actually i had one 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 big separation i guess 2013 and that was a real spur, spurring point for me because it made me realize that, okay, actually, I thought these guys were really good mates. And yeah. you understand why it happens. Like, stuff like that does happen, but you then did realize you, did there you, a Interestingly, did you, yeah, did you understand at the time or is it, or is it now that you um, understand it? No, I, little, I, I always more? understood. I, I, my thing is, and it's an analogy I've used a lot, so apologies if anyone's ever heard me speak before, but it's like having a girlfriend and her turning over to you in the morning and saying, babe, I really don't think this is working. We shouldn't be together anymore. Like... A rational human being is not going to be like, I tell you what, you're not leaving. This is like, before you're staying together, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And I think if, you know, in this in this job, if someone doesn't want to work with you or vice versa, you've just got to take an adult approach to it and opportunities will always come around. And I think something else I'm always quite passionate about on the artist side is like, you know, me as a manager, as a label, as a publisher, as whatever, any of us in this, in this job have infinite opportunities to work with numerous artists. Yeah. You know, I could I could sign 20 artists tomorrow. I wouldn't because that's not me doing my job, but I could. Most of these artists have one or two chances of being an artist. Mm. So there are times when you think, well, that was really irrational or you shouldn't have done that. That was really silly. But yeah. actually, you know. So you don't agree with it, but you accept it. You have to sometimes. Yeah. And, 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 and like I say, like you will protect yourself to in order to, you know, if I was going to lose 100 grand's worth of commission over 10 years or whatever, like you're going you're gonna to go after that. But I don't, I, I think pretty fair with it. And I think, you know, People work in different ways. I can't speak for some of the bigger, more corporate people. I can't speak for some of my colleagues. Like you know, it's, yeah. everyone's very different. But for me, it's like, like I say, people get artists get one or two shots, and I think you have to be mindful of that when they sometimes make irrational decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I want to dip, here, dip back into that commission thing again as well sure. because I think there's a lot, a lot of kind of ambiguity uh, in the artist community about you know, kind of the, the different rates and yeah. and what commissioning off gross might mean, and you know, and that kind of stuff. So it would be really interesting, I think, for for you to maybe just kind of outline from your perspective what kind of commissioning off gross means, and just a general kind of overview again sure. of, of what percentages artists should expect to be paying. Their yeah. Managers. So in my business, I, I take twenty percent of net. Mm-hmm. So if there's a record deal, I take twenty percent flat because there's no there's no costs coming off. Yeah. Um, if there's a tour. And the act gets paid 
let's say a thousand pounds for that tour um, and there's 800 pounds of cost then there's 200 pounds of profit and you take 20 percent of that 200 pounds of profit yeah um so that's kind of the black and white of it a lot of american businesses work on adjusted gross so it'll be a smaller percentage but it's off of everything so if the artist is say losing money on a tour um the manager will still earn money so there's some uk companies that work like that less so I understand both sides, actually, because I've had, you know, tours where the artist has decided at the last minute they want to take out ridiculous production. Yeah. And suddenly my overhead has just completely, you know, vanished. So there's been circumstances <laughs> where I've had so to that's, negotiate. That's a, that's a tough call to make because sometimes you're, you're you have li- to negotiate it because yeah. it's like, obviously, you believe in the long term. And their creative creativity and it's as creative well. And, yeah. you know, always, I guarantee you, any manager that's listening to this, will, the day before a London show, someone always is going to ring you from the band and go, should we get confetti? And you're like, <laughs> that's going to cost another four grand. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think everyone works in different ways. And, and there's definitely been times where I've probably suffered myself a lot because I've kind of had to adjust something to make it make what makes sense for the artist. But, you know, again, I think it's not about being greedy and... That's, I think that sometimes the, the managerial reputation can be that we're sort of all sat on piles of money. And, you know, the reality is under a deal like I've got, we only make money when the artist makes money. Okay. So, you know, I'm lucky that I've got a good infrastructure around me and a, a good enough history, I guess, that I don't have to make decisions based on money. Yeah. So I'm not going to take the biggest record deal just to get my 20% and, and you know, buy a new car because it's not what it's about. But I think that's probably the perception that can Happen. Yeah, that's why I wanted um, to talk about it because there is that perception within yeah. the artist community. Yeah, which is in, in, in some kind of quarters, and mm. it's just I think it's just good to kind of talk about these yeah. things openly. And like you know, everyone's different, so I can't speak for you know ninety percent of the other the other people that yeah. that are managers. But um, you know, the, the the adjusted gross American model is something that is interesting because I think as time goes on, it might become more and more prevalent because the squeeze. You know, I was I was just went out with some agents for lunch actually, and um, ticket prices haven't changed really underneath arena level for 20 years you know support acts are still getting paid 50 quid like they were in 1995 yeah yet your van driver's gone from 50 quid to 150 quid you know and these are all things that are affecting artists as well so thus your bottom line is just completely decimated yeah so it i think there, there may be a time when managers have to put some form of provision in there but then equally it's difficult it's actually more difficult for new managers because you know i know i'm lucky enough i guess or grateful enough that i've got acts that are touring at a you know, forum or a Brixton level. So I know that if those acts are on tour, there's X amount of money coming in that can feed my business and yeah. and, and, and pay for my assistant, etc. Mm. But if you're a new manager, I think it's good that the MMF have now got some grants going on because if you're a new manager, you're investing so much time into it, like I was, you know, but then still having to work full time. And I also think now it's going to be harder for new managers to make any money unless the art, unless the artist sort of is, is, is streaming really well. That's yeah. kind of the, that's kind of the going to be the starting point now is like, holding off on a record deal unless it really makes sense mm. having an act and, and and working through you know uh, an aggregator and actually that that's when you can start having some success but yeah. as you all know that's not defined and that's not always gonna happen overnight so no absolutely yeah i want to i want to touch on that uh, that point you made about um you know you only making money when the artist makes mm. money um and just you know that that kind of net receipts kind of deal and yeah. you know that kind of thing um specifically there's a there's a kind of there has been in the past and i think it kind of still exists now i just wanted to get your views uh on the 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 practice of paying managers monthly retainers um so artists sometimes are approached by managers or management companies that will ask them you know okay 
you know, you can come and work with us. You know, we obviously have a great track record, but it's going to be X amount a month. And it's actually yeah. kind of not commission based. It's just based on a, on a, kind of, on a service fee. Would you, I haven't seen that for a long time. So would you say that those kind of companies that are doing it do have a great track record? That's just an, that's just a, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting what they would say to an artist. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying that they, they provide a great service. That, um, this is a loaded question, by the way, I'm just getting you to answer. No, no, this. no, for sure. I feel like those, I, I can understand. Is that the, those, those practices exist, a, and I, you they know, it's do, just really for I've, artists to look out for it. Them. I think it becomes more of a service-based. I mean, we are it is service-based anyway. I think it kind of revokes a bit of creativity. I think it revokes a bit of strategy, mm. and I think it revokes a bit of ethics and hard work. Don't get me wrong; people deserve to get paid for the work they put in, hundred um, percent. But I also think if you're signing an artist without the idea that you're going to earn some money off of that twenty percent then you're not really doing your job properly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've known cases of artists pay four or 500 pounds a month for very little other than, yeah. you know, a few shows and some rebranding because the guy can do some cool graphics or girl. And that's kind of been it. So I don't know. I haven't seen it a huge amount nowadays. I think it's different to say um, consulting. Maybe that's like something that you could, you know, sometimes I've known managers be bought onto a project maybe with another manager or with someone else and they'll get paid, say a retainer to consult. But it's understood that that usually would be for a period of time. Exactly. And, I yeah. think, um, you know, I remember years ago, um, I'm sure you'll probably know what I'm on about, but there was a company that had 10 or 15, maybe even 20 of these sort of mid-level rock, maybe not mid, like sort of low-level yeah. metal and rock bands. And they were being charged like between 250 and 500 pounds a month and suddenly looking like, Jesus, these people are making eight to 10 K a month. And none of these bands can sell 150 tickets anywhere. Yeah. So it becomes a volume based business then. And I don't think that's really what being a manager is about. No. Um, you, you know, you need to focus on your artists. You need to know each lane that each of them are in mm. and not compete against each other. I mean, I think bar maybe two acts on my roster, like neither of them, none of them would really fit necessarily on, on, on so they're on not the competing thing. for the same opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, that can, and I think if you looked at that business model, I would guarantee you that 95% of those business models are in the exact same genre where they might have one band that's doing okay, which probably doesn't pay monthly, mm. and then the rest of it's on those structures. So yeah. um, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you won't find the right person doing it because you might find someone great in that structure yeah. I, I think just, I think you know you're right to kind of highlight that it's it tends to be a kind of within a certain level of artists yeah. and, and there, there, there will definitely be artists listening to this podcast that have probably been approached by ma managers or management companies that and operate on that basis the artists so. that, when you ask me the first question of when do you need a manager probably the ones that think they need one but may actually not yet and then it's easy to get sucked into that yeah that thing and it's it's just such a shame because I meet so many artists that have been done over by managers and I I really hate that you know I met one the other week who I won't say it, but yeah, the manager had just, let's say that the, the band hadn't seen a lot of money for a long time and, mm. and, and, and it cost them a lot of money. And, you know, they found out the truth was that, you know, and, and I'm not saying that there are, you know, there are dishonest people in every avenue of the business, of but course, yeah. you've just got to do your, do your due diligence, I think. And that doesn't mean that you can't work with an independent person. doesn't mean that you can't work with someone who's never managed before. Cause yeah. I didn't, most of us that are managers never managed anyone, but, um, yeah, it's just it's just that trusting, and I think really really digging into those those people is important. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you touched on this earlier, but I just want to confirm: does the does the artist uh, work for the manager, or does the manager work for the no, artist? No, we work for the artist, hundred um, percent. Okay. I think I think it's more of a partnership now than it's ever been, mm. and I don't think it's like a hire and fire situation per se. But I I, I did definitely think that you know the artist is is the product you yeah. know the artist is the, the the vision the artist is 
you know, what they want to create. I think there's obviously examples, maybe more in a pop stream where, you know, a manager comes along and literally creates the product with the artist and maybe there's a big age gap and the manager's in his 50s and it's a teenage, you know, and there's a bit of a different situation. But in most part in this day and age, when you look at someone like Billie Eilish, who's 16 and is just so driven and artistically amazing and bold and, like, you know, she's running that. Like, she knows exactly what she's doing and her manager's helping that and building an amazing team around her and, and helping grow it. So, yeah. you know, I, like, I, it, it, I'd like to say it's a partnership, but the black and white of it for me is like, you know, we work, we, we do work for the, we do work for the artist. Yeah, sure. And, that, and that's kind of what the, the dynamic should look like typically with it, with an artist manager relationship. Yeah. It? I think there's obviously times when we will know best. Yeah. There's times when the artist will know best. Mm. I work with a, with a 20 year old kid. Well, it's not a kid, it's a man, but 20 year old, you know, um, called Brunswick, who's just, really enigmatic so creative knows exactly what he wants yeah. and there's been times when he said something in a meeting i'm like oh, i'm not sure i agree with that yeah nine times out of ten he's right and you have to kind of trust that artistic instinct sometimes and mm. you know he's albeit not a huge amount younger than me but he's doing that day in day out you know yeah, he's yeah. in that circle of creatives he's in that circle of kids that put music on soundcloud and really living it mm. almost weirdly it's sort of the more success you have in the music business sometimes the more detached you come from from the reason that it's all here, which is the people that are actually buying it. And yeah. saying that to someone the other day, like marketing now has really become fan to fan. Like that's mm. what's important. So I definitely, you know, try and stay in, in that as much as I can. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's interesting. I think like, yeah, I don't know. I, I always trust my artist instinct. There's obviously times when they might disagree with doing a certain bit of press or they might not want to do a certain radio session because it won't come out the way they wanted and you know you need to do that to get the certain festival look and mm. that's where it becomes more of a pragmatic from my side but you know usually the instinct's pretty pretty spot on yeah sure so the, i wanted to tap into that kind of the uh, the, the manager working for the artist yeah. and and the some sometimes the 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 actual kind of uh what you know kind of what that looks like day to day it can be pretty intense i guess yes. when you're you know when you're really busy um you know is there is there kind of uh, any kind of typical advice or any kind of um you know any kind of thoughts that you have on 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 how you should structure that relationship i mean specifically with regards to you know when it's not a nine to five job you know yeah. when when's your time off and you know does the artist need time off and do you need time off from each other and yeah you know how, do, how does that work <laughs> everyone needs time off but no i think um that's something I think has become more and more and more important recently. Um, you know, things like WhatsApp and uh, iMessage. And, yeah. you know, when, when when I first started out, 95% of it was email. Yeah. 5% was probably phone calls. Now, speaking to artists, unless it's an artist that's not in the UK, I say probably 95 of it is instant messaging. Wow. And 5% of it's emails. Wow. Um, so that's changed a lot. Um, obviously you still call your artists a lot. Mm. I have, you know, daily so do you, phone conversations. So do you have situations where you feel like you're on call 24 seven, yeah. literally yeah. Ev- every day and of the week? And that's something that's important, I think for artists and managers and anyone in this business to switch off. You know, you said you, you spoke to the people last week about the mental health in the business. And I think that's something I'm really passionate about and something I try and install in my artists is like having those boundaries sometimes. Um, okay. WhatsApp groups are really difficult. I've left, I've, I've kind of made a, a thing. I spent a month in Australia uh, over Christmas with, with my girlfriend, which was amazing and a really good break. And I still worked, but I kind of, you know, made it very clear that but I was having a bit of me exactly, time for the yeah, first so time Exactly, yeah, so you were clear that it's a break years. for you. Yeah, yeah, but what I did when I went there was I just put, took myself out of all my artist and, and management WhatsApp groups because if it's just you and a solo act, for example, say me in Brunswick, relationships, super easy. With text or call or email, it's fine, one-on-one, it's yeah. good. 
Um, when there's a band dynamic, it's not necessarily that anyone in the band's doing anything wrong, but bands inherently argue amongst each other. So you can go to bed at, say, 11.30 and wake up at 8 a.m. and you've got 450 unread WhatsApps in a, in a WhatsApp group because the artist is arguing amongst each other about something, which yeah. then comes back to you. And halfway down that thread, it'll be like, Jamie, why didn't you tell us about this? And then you have to go through it all. And imagine waking up at 7 in the morning and going, it's quite anxiety-inducing anyway, Absolutely, just because your yeah. day starts the second you look at your phone. And then you're like, well, I did send you this email. And they're like, oh, I didn't read that email. So I've really tried to build those processes in place now, which is like, if anything's important, if any decision needs to be made, it's going to be email. Yeah. And I will forward you my thoughts and I'll forward you what I think we should do. And I'll let you come back with feedback. If it's a, hey, don't forget you've got press it, whatever, like I'll get my assistant to do that. Um, or if it's scheduling press or chasing interviews and stuff, I'll get my assistant to do it. So I've, I've really tried to kill that WhatsApp thing because mm. it wasn't healthy for anyone and yeah. uh, and i feel like you know it is 27 business 24 7 business you know i work with people in la and in japan and in australia so you you are on all the time yeah but you certainly have to give yourself some space i think the artist does too i was saying that to someone i worked with the other day he was like well, i'm not leaving the studio till 4 a.m until i finish this song yeah it's like do you know what man like go home at 10 have a cup of tea watch suits get up in the morning go back and he was like, oh my god i finished that song within an hour of going back to the studio yeah. so i think people don't disconnect and you know, we're in a world now where social media makes every artist think that every artist is better than them or bigger than them. And it's the same with people in music. Like, oh, my God, why is that? It's just people in general. In general, right? Yeah. So nothing's good enough and no mm. one's allowed to be content. I get quite ranty about yeah. this because I, I actually deleted my Instagram app just because for no other reason than I was just fed up of seeing this projected lifestyle. Absolutely. And I don't think it's healthy. Um, and I think it makes a lot of young... I'm lucky that I was kind of, you know, we're all kind of a little bit older, so it's kind of more MySpace. But I think now it's like a lot of artists aren't allowed to just create. They, yeah. they feel like they have to... It's instant it's pressure. Perceived and, it's, and mm. you know, no one's allowed to just be chilling what they're doing. Like, you know, you work a nine-to-five office job. Even if you love it, you're being told to quit it and move to, to Timbuktu. Like, that's just that's just <laughs> like the nature of it now. Yeah. Um, and I think music can be the same thing. And I've had it with bands where it's like, oh my God, this band's doing this show. Why aren't we doing that show? It's like, yeah, but you've had seven... Radio One playlist and this band's never had a play on Radio One. So it's all, you know, and you, you kind of, and I get why artists are like that and it's part of my job to take that in. And But that's another really interesting point, actually. Part of my job that's changed drastically over the years is the mental health aspect for artists as well yeah. and making sure that the artists are okay in that respect because, you know, there's, there's, there's some difficult conversations I've had recently that I hadn't had in the last eight to ten years mm. so i can see it having an effect because i'm having more and more conversations yeah about definitely so it's that. more prevalent and people are feeling like they can actually have that conversation exactly now. which is great actually yeah. and really good but also something i'm very passionate about too is trying to get managers the training yeah absolutely yeah none I mean, of us got we, we all no. went to this business because we like guitars and you know djing and playing music and playing shows and you're not really prepared for some of the phone calls you might get at one in the morning and i think that again when you talk about boundaries you have to just there's an ebb and a flow of what makes sense if i get a phone call from a certain person at a certain time day or night whatever time it is i know that i probably need to take it for more of a personal reason than a work okay. reason if that makes sense yeah absolutely. um yeah. but then there's sometimes when someone will ring you at 11 o'clock and you can just ping back saying hey man i'm watching a film with the missus like i'll text you back in the morning and they're cool with that so yeah sure um but the whatsapp group thing for me and the and the face i know a lot of managers use um facebook groups nowadays which okay. i'm not overly keen on because i think that again it's just that constant chatter yeah. i think it's really I, I th for me what it is is a lot of the time artists if it's a band 
all four or five of them might have a little bit of a different idea about what the project is or should be. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time now sort of saying like, you guys should decide that. Yeah. And then come to and me. And then come to me and I can yeah. help do it. Or if we really need to have a discussion, like let's meet up once a month and talk about it. Mm. But pinging in on WhatsApp, you know, yeah. someone might be at football practice. Someone else might be making a lasagna. And those, those and kinds of And two other guys are arguing with each other. And then the other guy yeah. comes back in a mood because he lost football and the lasagna's yeah, yeah. burnt. And suddenly there's just this huge argument and you're yeah. going whoa yeah and you didn't have any input on it and usually it's completely fine and there's no issue at all and yeah. i think bands work themselves up which they're again like i say they're allowed to do it's their career totally chill. absolutely but like you say you know it might be it might be relevant uh for the you know for that band to or you know that those artists to actually have that conversation mm. at 10 o'clock on a sunday night but but because of the nature of what they're discussing it isn't necessarily you know necessary for you to have that conversation exactly. at, at 10 o'clock on a yeah, Sunday night. Just having night, that, so. having that, you know, it's, it's so important in any aspect of life. You ask someone that works in the city that works 20 hours a day, like they'll tell you they need a break. Yeah. And I think for any of us, like, you know, my main thing is like, I'm so grateful and humble and enjoy the fact that every day I wake up and go, holy shit, I'm working in music. Yeah. Like none of us could have dreamed that. Like, you know, when you're a kid, it's your dream job. But I read a really interesting uh, thing the other day. Do you mind if I just read it out to you? It was so, it was so funny. Yeah, yeah. It was a ahead. um, it was uh, I bought my girlfriend a, like a thing of a big this guy's big cartel, and um, he wrote this thing. It said, "Do what you love," and then and it says, "And you'll," and it's crossed out. Never work a day in your life. It says, "Do what you love," and you'll work super fucking hard all the time with no separation or any boundaries, and take everything extremely personally. <laughs> and I thought that was quite apt for the creative, yeah. Uh, yeah. creative businesses. Because like, I think we, and that's some again, it's like you can building, apply that to a lot of industries, can, definitely. You know, yeah. and I think for artists, it's so difficult to not get really uptight and stressed about stuff because because yeah. they should do so. Um, yeah, to answer your question, every artist and every manager has a completely different relationship, and I just think think as I've got older and less emotionally attached to certain things, mm. that it's just been good for me to set, have those boundaries pretty yeah. but i mean literally since we've been doing this podcast one of my artists has texted me 13 times okay. i just noticed it ping up so there you go so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's it all good good yeah i yes I, I think you're right i think it's just about you know identifying you know when it's when it's relevant and just you know making that kind of judgment call but ultimately just expressing to for both your own kind of personal well-being and the well-being of your artists that yeah. actually look you know we need to have we there are it's necessary for us to have some boundaries yeah we need to make sure that we've got you know you've got the time to be creative and that that is you know not necessarily kind of eaten into by you know just constant you know rehashing and, and constant communication and, a lot of it's overthinking you know, kind of i think yeah. from both sides and i think um you know it doesn't help nowadays when some of the label structures don't necessarily breathe confidence into artists. So okay. um, I don't mean this in a negative way to any labels I work with. I just think that everyone's got way more work on than they used to. So you yeah. used to maybe have someone that was working on three projects at a label and they've now got 15. So things do slip through the net more. And it's something that we've at Red Light, um, you know, James Sandham's been amazing at, at building our business in that way of actually building kind of second tier staff, so to speak. So we've got an amazing uh, couple of people who kind of work in marketing or in events that kind of just... Great. build that sort of support network and Corin in the US has done the same so yeah. you know I think nowadays we as managers have to offer artists, artists services that almost go outside of the managerial reach mm-hmm. you know so marketing events social media our LA office yeah. and our dance division have a have an entire social media branding creative department you know which is kind of behind or help build you know Marshmallow and Slushy and that whole kind of thing because oh. nowadays you almost have to create that brand you know, and, and and then have it to go. And that's, again, comes back to my point of when the artist has the vision for the brand, the manager can help 
put everything around it to do it and then we can present it to a label and no one yeah. else is going to mess with it. Yeah. Whereas you see a lot of the time artists sign to a label without necessarily a vision and then everyone's putting them in a, you know, the A&R guy thinks they should be this, the marketing guy should be this and suddenly all of a sudden you've got this sort of really jumbled up artist who's being thrown into sessions with a hip hop guy and a rock guy and a rap guy and the artist comes out with 30 songs and guarantee you they'll release the demo yeah. as the first single. Because that's what attracted them as the first place. Because it was real, yeah, right? Absolutely. So I think that, yeah, no, that's something else that's important as yeah. well. I mean, kind of on that point as well, would it be true to say that being ready for a manager and wanting a manager are two separate things? And do you think that some artists want a manager before they're actually ready for one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every artist, I think, okay. most of the time. Um, but it's amazing. I was I met with a sync girl earlier and she told me about this this guy that she represents who has done 150 million streams 50 million YouTube views, never played a gig in his life and doesn't yeah. have a manager. And you're like, wow, what's his, what's his number? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think, um, like I say, when you're ready for one, it's when you really feel like you need to take it to the next step. And it's really obvious, like, you know, I'll get sent um, music from an act and it's really obvious when they know exactly... All it takes nowadays is a click to Instagram, a click to Twitter. Twitter? Not American. Click to Twitter. <laughs> click, to, <laughs> click to Twitter, bro. Um, click to Facebook and you can see whether someone's got their, their stuff together. I'll always listen to the music anyway because you might find a hidden gem, but I guarantee you nine, 99 times out of 100, mm. the one that's got it all together also has their music the most together. Yeah. And it's the one that goes, hi guys, we're like a soul, jazz, rap, fusion, techno act with a SoundCloud of 12 songs and they all sound super different. That's probably an act that wants a manager but isn't ready for one. Yeah, um, sure. Because again, I, I know I keep harping on, but it comes back to, to vision. Like, who are you? what are you and where do you sit in in, mm. in the sphere of, of 2018 because 2018 is mental for music like i think it's been the best year for for new music for new pop music for new everything in a long time mm. like about idol selling twelve thousand records week one yeah on a on a great independent label i mean it's so refreshing yeah and you've got you know pop songs like calvin harris and sam smith promises which doesn't even really have a chorus and it's just live bass and it's just like yeah, everything's changing it's not i think the the typical way of like hits is is changing, you know, Tom Meach, Rex Orange County, all these absolutely incredible artists that, yeah. you know, Georgia Smith, it's like real artistry, I think, is more prevalent now than it's been for, for a long time, Yeah, actually. it definitely seems to be coming back. So, I mean, if an artist is ready, what are some of the ways in which they might be able to attract the attention of a manager? Sure. I mean, you mentioned, you know, having your having all your, you know, your shit together for on your on your <laughs> socials and, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Is I mean, is what are the, some of the other ways that they can kind um, of attract a, a I used this analogy the other day, actually, and I... I heart back to the girlfriend thing but if you fancy someone and you want to go on a date if you ring them every day and you knock on their door and say can we go out can we go out can we go out you're gonna freak them out and i always use that for artists i think a lot of the time artists feel like they need to just hammer into a certain situation in order to get management yeah you know most of the time it's like if you see someone attractive out and you're like oh who's that oh you're friends with that person oh that's cool like what you know and it's kind of trying to draw someone in that same way like it's the, play, it's the play it cool trick. Play it cool because I'll tell, I tell you what it is with management, with label, with everything. Like people want to find the artists. They yeah. don't want the artist to find them. Mm -hmm. Obviously nowadays, as I said, lawyers are way more involved than they've been maybe 10 years ago. But now a lot of my tips will come from a lawyer mm -hmm. who have happened to find an act or a friend of a friend's hook them up and they'll suggest them to us. If it's a big act, obviously you kind of hear on the grapevine that they're going. But for a new artist, I don't know. I mean... Networking, like networking, being out and about. I mean, that's what's that's what's difficult if you are outside of, you know, sort of Greater London or Manchester or Liverpool or one of the big cities. Because I can understand there's an act I manage called Lowe's, 
who are from the dark, dark depths of Lancaster. Yeah. And I think Evie, the singer, had been to London once before before they, they signed, and that was to go to Heathrow. Mm. Um, and they put one song on SoundCloud, um, their first ever song, and, and all of a sudden, 27 managers were in touch. And I was actually really late to it, and I was in a, a meeting with an A&R scout. I was like, have you heard Lowe's? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure, man. Why didn't you play it? And I'll, they played me this song, and I was just, my jaw just hit the floor. I was like, this is mad. Um, I was like, yeah, 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 I have heard this. So mm. I, hadn't, I hadn't heard it at all. Um, <laughs> so I made an excuse to leave the meeting early and I ran outside and I emailed them and I got a train the next day. And that was, you know, I wanted it so bad because I just heard this amazing song mm. and I was so blown so away. So in that, I mean, in that instance with that artist, you know, how did they, how did they attract the attention? Is it, was SoundCloud. It, okay. I, honestly, they, they knew nothing. And, and right. within 24 hours, numerous lawyers were in touch. They ended up working with, with the amazing Nikki Steen at Clinton's. Yeah. And... You know, it was just, I mean, it was just the quality of what they did was just okay. insane. And you forget, like, there are still people within management companies, within labels, within publishers that it's their job to sit on SoundCloud, sit on Spotify. Mm. And I find so much new music on Spotify. You know, there's an act I'm talking to at the moment for the label who I just stumbled across on Spotify. And they've got, you know, 300,000 monthly listeners and no one, no team, mm. you know, and they're going, we're not sure we want a label. And I'm like damn it, now I really want you to sign to the label. <laughs> and it's, it's that same thing, you know, when, you, yeah. when, you, when you're told you can't have something, you want it more. So, um, but I mean, I wouldn't discourage people from emailing people. Like, I'm not saying don't do it, but I think just frame it in a way that isn't sort of, you know, the, the ones I always want to reach out to are just ones that seem really informal, doesn't need a 20 megabyte EPK attached, doesn't need, you know, an insane amount of information. It's just like a couple of highlight points, a couple of things that are interesting. Yeah. And, you know, but also be prepared to get a lot of non non responses, mm. just my day to day. And I'm sure most other managers that are as busy as I am, we're getting 400 to 500 emails a day. Okay. So I do try and spend at least an hour or two a week going through and I have a folder that's just like demos. So yeah, I will try. Actually, that'd but... be a really good point to, to, to end on. Actually, I think it'd be really interesting to, to maybe kind of dig into what you personally look for when you're consi yeah. when you're considering a new artist. Totally. That might be interesting. To yeah, I think, um, there's probably a, diff a few different angles. One's obviously, is there any success there or is there a groundswell or is there something that we feel like we can dig into? Um, and that's on numerous levels. Like at the moment, you know, we're talking to an act that's already had so much success, but as a global company, we feel like we can build that even more. Yeah. Um, on the middle level, it's sort of like, you know, what's maybe there and what can be improved. On the small level, yeah, I, I, it's numerous things. I think I think for me, first of all, is, is the music good? I mean, that's all that really should matter. Sadly, it isn't, but it's what it should. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of someone's tone in a vocal, so I think you can be the best singer in the world, but you might not have the right tone. And if you look at anything that works, Adele, Sam Smith, you know, Jess Glynn, they all have very unique vocal tones and they're instantly recognisable. And that's yeah. something I feel that's quite prevalent across my entire roster is the tone of the of the of the artist Lowe's and Brunswick being my two newest acts in particular both got very distinctive voices um which is what drew me to them um songwriting obviously and do they have ambition is probably another one you yeah, know if you want to really. start working with a with an act and you know and you do like I've, I've found amazing artists before that have no ambition to to tour and they just like making music in their bedroom and that's cool there was an amazing DJ I, I, I found from Hamburg who'd done this incredible bootleg of uh, Sugar Babes, Freak mm. Like Me. And it was incredible. And it had like a million plays on, on SoundCloud. I was like, dude, this is insane. Send me your other stuff. It was amazing. And I've been like looking to get into the dance space for a long time. I was like, man, we've got to do something together. Like, you know, we've got an electronic division, a red light. Like, we could really do that. It's like, nah, man. It's like, I like my job. I'm just happy putting tunes out on SoundCloud. It's like, cool. Respect that. <laughs> um, so for us to get involved, I couldn't have done anything there, you know? So no. the ambition. Um, 
and again, I'm coming back to it, and I'm sorry if you just swear so many times, but vision, like yeah, ambition yeah. and vision, the two, the two it's important great. things. This because, is good. because you know, if you don't, all we can do is facilitate. Mm. Really, we can create, we can build, we can grow, but we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to make it, if that makes sense. We yeah. should be able to just, you know, facilitate that vision. So, but I think it comes naturally. I really do. Like, I, I think it's very rare that an artist gets a manager from forcing a door down. Like, you hear horror stories. Of, we had it once with. Um, Red Light used to manage Miley Cyrus, and okay. during her um, interesting phase, shall we say, um, one day the someone somehow got into our office and was just like, uh, I've, "I've written all the songs of Miley Cyrus," like standing over my desk, and there's about three of us in the office at the time, like throwing a CD in my face, like we, this is really scary. We have a tight, we have a, like a first floor, you know, ground floor, sorry, uh, open plan office. Like there's no security or, or reception no. or anything. It's just us. So that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> both, 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 both metaphorically or literally, forcing a door down doesn't work. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe other managers would disagree, but I don't think I've known a manager. I was on a panel the other day with Matt Vines and, uh, you know, he manages Slaves and Louis Tomlinson, a really, yeah. really great guy. Um, and we both sort of agreed that it's rare that you sort of... And artists will get annoyed with this, I guess, because they want to be proactive and they want... And, and, and I think that can... It is good, but it's just knowing when to sort of press the buttons. Yeah. Someone said it really well, actually, on that panel. It was like, just go to gigs of artists that you like and just 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 look at it and work it and actually start to just build those those connections yourself because you will bump into people that's how i did it when i was younger yeah i just went and hung out at islington academy or the astoria with you know someone who might know someone who might know someone and things do pop up and that's yeah. again it's not like oh hey i do this i do that here's my card mm. you know whatever but it's just building it's that. a natural organic kind that, of process i, I, I know it sounds ridiculous yeah. like it'll happen if it happens it'll happen but mm. you know there's reasons there's, that Cold, yeah, there's, there's reasons coldplay oasis muse radiohead all these amazing bands got discovered it's because they were really 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 great yeah and absolutely. i think there's obviously sadly some bands that do slip away but that's you know part of our job is to try and find them and we do actively look like honestly i i, I my you know, artists you may like or Spotify radio. Like I do spend hours a day when I'm commuting and not listening to, to podcasts, like just, you know, listening to new music. Yeah. You know, I, it was, but it's bizarre how these things work. And I found this artist the other week. I was like, and I didn't know who it was. It was just on my, it just came on radio. It's like, this is insane. Like absolutely amazing. Went online, like found it had an art, a manager, no label. So typed the manager's name in. And then I pressed uh, search in my email. And three days ago, the manager had, in our demos box and the label had <laughs> had hit, hit me up about it. Yeah, yeah. So there's always Absolutely. these weird little sort of trifecta. And that's the other thing about music. I think everything happens in certain little points and all yeah. kind of There's quite often some serendipity sense. as well with kind of how things Very kind of much flow, so. flow together as yeah, well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Great. Excellent. Listen, Jamie, thanks so much for your insight today. I uh, really appreciate your My time. Pleasure. Thank you for And uh, yeah, this has been the uh, Music Made Me podcast for TuneCore. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individuals talking and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of TuneCore. Check out TuneCore.com to help you distribute your music, register your original songs worldwide, and more. Connect with us on all social channels at TuneCore. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. 